0: There's one far-reaching teaching of the Buddha that's so simple and so obvious that for the most part we overlook it. He said bhikkhus, and bhikkhus here refers to anyone who is walking on the path, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind whatever we frequently think or ponder upon becomes the inclination of our minds. It seems so obvious that this is true. Yet how often, except perhaps in the context of a retreat, do we really pay attention to what we frequently think about and ponder upon Mostly the thoughts and emotions and feelings just run through our minds. We're acting out the habit patterns of our conditioning. So this teaching of the Buddha pointing to how our thoughts actually condition, um, conditions our mind stream is the foundational understanding for the second step of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is right thought. The Buddha is pointing out that some thoughts, some kinds of thoughts are conducive to happiness. Other kinds of thoughts are conducive to suffering. So this plays such a critical role in the unfolding of our lives, the unfolding of our spiritual journey. Whatever we frequently think about or ponder upon becomes the inclination of the mind. So as you might know, the Buddha was a little more specific in his description of right thought. He said, it's the cultivation, the practice of thoughts of renunciation, the practice and thoughts of loving kindness and goodwill, and the thoughts and practice of compassion. So tonight I'd like to speak of the particular aspect of right thought, which is loving kindness. The poet Rilke really captured a very unique sense or quality of this feeling of metta or loving kindness, this way of relating with one another He said, once the realization is accepted that even between the closest people infinite distances exist, a marvelous living side by side can grow up for them if they succeed in loving the expanse between them, which gives them the possibility of always seeing each other whole and as before an immense sky. That's such a beautiful expression and something that I think is very rarely done. That even between the closest people, infinite distances exist. A marvelous living side by side can grow up for them if they succeed in loving the expanse between them, which gives them the possibility of always seeing each other as whole and before an immense sky. So in our lives, we sometimes meet people who have this capacity, who see us as whole, and as before an immense sky, who don't judge, who don't discriminate, who seem to radiate genuine feelings of love and kindness and care and concern towards everyone they meet. You know, and they may be well-known people, famous people like the Dalai Lama and Mother Teresa, or Martin Luther King Jr., or Gandhi, people you know, who we know about. It may be different teachers that we've met who seem to have this capacity. Or maybe it's ordinary people in our lives who just naturally have this great capacity for love. For those of you who've had mm, the experience of meeting the Dalai Lama It's quite extraordinary because when you meet him, even if it's just for a few moments, you feel like to him in that moment, you're the most important person in the world. And it's a great feeling. And why is that? Because his attention is truly undivided and his heart is filled with metta. He describes a practice he does which would be a fantastic practice for all of us to do. I try to treat whomever I meet as an old friend. But just imagine treating everyone we meet throughout the day as an old friend, and the feelings that would emerge from that kind of practice and understanding. You know, with Deepa Ma, we've spoken a lot about her already, this amazing and wonderful woman. She was always blessing. You know, she would just go around and be happy, be happy. She would bless people, she would bless animals, she'd bless airplanes before she got on them. <laughs> it was just... And when we would go up to see her in her room, uh, Kamala, uh, I think, described a little bit uh, the other evening, just two tiny rooms, but you'd go in and you'd kind of kneel down, you know, for her blessing, and she'd run her hands over your head and shoulders and arms, and it was like being bathed in metta, being bathed in love. Somebody described being hugged by Deepama, said so thoroughly that all my six feet fit into a great, vast, empty heart with room for the whole of creation. You know, and it was like that. Her heart was so empty of self and so full of love, and the feeling one had with her was uh, completely inspiring of a possibility. With all of these people, their love is not because of who we are. It's not because of a position. It's not because of any status. It's not because of any wealth. It's simply because we're fellow living beings. So it's this particular quality that is the feeling of metta or loving kindness. It's a generosity or an openness of heart that simply wishes well for all beings. And although we derive great benefit when we cultivate this quality in ourselves, the metta, the loving kindness itself is not seeking self-benefit. We're not extending it in expectation of something in return. And if there is that expectation, then it's a signal that it's not really metta. And even when we're directing this loving kindness to ourselves, Really, it's just a gateway, when we're de- developing the loving kindness towards ourselves, it's a gateway to an open heart. It's precisely because there is no expectation of anything in return. It's not dependent on external conditions. It's not dependent on other people or ourselves being a certain way. And for this reason, because it's not dependent on how people are, the feeling of metta, the feeling of loving kindness or loving care, doesn't easily turn into disappointment or ill will or jealousy, as love with desire and attachment so often does. What gives Meta its great expansive power when it's well developed is that it sees no distinction between beings. It's not a feeling that's limited to those who are close to us. Now we might feel close to one person or two people or five or ten or twenty. Maybe we even feel close to a hundred people. But we certainly don't feel close to everyone in the world. That would be impossible. Metta, though, this quality of loving kindness, has this power to embrace all beings. Why? Because it is the simple wish, may you be happy. That's why metta is called an immeasurable. It's called one of the boundless states of heart and mind. Precisely because it can easily embrace all beings. And we all have our own little openings to this understanding. For me, it happened uh, very specifically when I was doing my first Period of intensive metta practice. I was in Bodhgaya in India and going through all the categories you know, that we've been going through here and in the previous metta course. We got to the place in the practice where Munindraji, you know, my first Dharma teacher, said, Well, now start directing it towards a neutral person. And at first I didn't even quite know what he meant by that. What, what's a neutral person? And he said, Well, Somebody you just don't care about one way or the other. And that itself was shocking. Just to, to let that concept enter into my mind when I realized how many neutral people there were around me. <laughs> people who I was with, who I just didn't care about one way or the other. <laughs> so that was, that was, that really was a bit shocking. So there was this old gardener, this old Indian gardener at the Burmese Vihar where I was staying. I said, I had seen him every day, passed by him every day. It's a little embarrassing to say, but really he could have been a telephone pole (laughs) for all that I was relating to him. So he became my neutral person. And day after day, I'm sending these loving wishes, cultivating these loving wishes. And before long, he became my love object. You know, and every time I saw him, my heart just filled with these feelings of love and kindness and care. And there was a great, great lesson in this, which is that how we feel about anybody is up to us. It doesn't depend on the other person. How we feel is up to us. Years ago I was in a relationship, I was having this many, many years ago, (laughs) (laughs) lifetimes ago, and we were having a little argument, and in the middle of the argument uh, my friend turned to me and said, stop making me feel aversion. (laughs) <laughs> and I just started to laugh, which did not help the situation. <laughs> but it's the idea that we have that other people make us feel a certain way. And when we do the meta practice, especially as we go through the neutral person and then the difficult people, this great, great empowerment of understanding, regardless of how the other person is, How we feel is up to us. We can develop loving feelings. The wish for the other person to be well, to be happy. A moment of genuine metta, just basic goodwill. It's not something fancy. It's just basic, simple goodwill. It's really... A moment of great purity. It's like a moment of metta is like a moment of pure gold. You know, and some of you have been reciting or I understand attempting to chant the Metta Sutta. <laughs> so <laughs> I just wanted to read a few lines of it as a reminder in the Buddha's words of what this feeling is about. In gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. And even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. It's very simple and powerful words. What we frequently think about and ponder upon becomes the inclination of our minds. These feelings of goodwill and of kindness, they soften us and you know, they soften our minds and our hearts and our minds and hearts become more pliable, you know, smoother, more gentle. And because of this softening, this easing of the heart, there's a lessening of the many reactive judgments, you know, that so often and commonly arise less reactive judgments about others, less reactive judgments and comments about ourselves. We become much more patient you know, and caring in times of difficulty, in times of disturbances. And as we're less reactive, as our minds soften in this way, we're not so caught up in all the immediate reactions of likes and dislikes So it gives more space in the mind for discerning wisdom. We're not just jumping into every situation with what we like and what we don't like. As our hearts become more open, softer, more pliable, there's more space, there's more discerning wisdom, and we can see more clearly what courses of action are skillful, what courses of action are unskillful, because we're less reactive. And as the There's more discerning wisdom. We make wiser choices. As we make wiser choices, we feel happier. We feel more joy in our life. We feel more metta. Metta creates more space, less reactivity, more wisdom. Make wiser choices, happier. And it's just a spiral upwards, all starting from this simple and basic energy of goodwill. As the meta, as this feeling grows stronger and steadier in ourselves, as it becomes more and more the natural inclination of our minds, we really feel more tolerant, both of ourselves and others, you know, a little less judgmental. We start to live gradually in a growing field of goodwill and also good humor we start to take ourselves and others a little more lightly, which is such a relief. And W.H. Auden, the poet, he captured this quality very well. In one line, when he said, love your crooked neighbor with all your crooked heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's a relief just to be able to hold ourselves and others in that way. The beauty and the power of the Buddhist teachings is that they are not simply something to admire from afar, but they're really to practice and develop in ourselves. Dalai Lama said that if we were aware that we all contain love within us, and that we could foster and develop it, we would certainly give it far more attention than we do. And so there's really something important here. It's recognizing that this is something that can be developed, it can be cultivated, it can be practiced. It's not hard to recognize the value and the benevolence of this feeling of metta, of loving-kindness. You know, we talk about it and it's so obvious that it's a nurturing and wholesome and beneficial state. But still there are many times when we find it lacking in our lives, when our hearts are not soft, and our hearts are not open, and they're not pliable. So it's helpful to understand why given the great value and the obvious value of this state, why do we find ourselves so often with it lacking? There's a powerful force in our minds, in our lives, that comes masquerading as love, but which actually obstructs it and obscures it. And this is called, as many of you know, the near enemy of metta something that looks like it but is not it. And this is the mind state or combination of states of desire, of attachment, of longing, of craving. And it's the confusion in our lives of these two states of love and desire which has enormous implications for our relationships and for the way we live our lives. So just think for a moment of times when you have felt most loving. Might be with a partner, with a child, with a parent, with a pet. Just times when you feel most spontaneously loving. What is that like? In my experience, it's just a generosity of the heart at those times. You know, it's the, it's the internal offering or wish for that being to be happy, to be well. Now think for a moment of when you have felt a strong desire for or attachment to another person. What does that feel like? when there's really a strong desire in the mind, a strong attachment, it's a feeling of wanting, of holding something for ourselves. It could be wanting pleasure. It could be wanting fulfillment. It could be wanting acceptance. It could even be wanting to be loved. But the energy movement of generosity and of wanting and holding are two opposite movements. I mean, can you feel that? It's, when we stop to look, often we, don't, we just are not observing this, but when we actually observe, the moments of metta, the moments of love is just, it's a giving. And the moments of attachment, of desire, of longing is a holding, is a wanting. Two opposite movements. And what's so amazing, when we really can see and discern in this way, we see that desire or wanting doesn't enhance love in any way. It's not that, well, it is a wanting, but it actually makes us more loving. It doesn't enhance love at all. It actually detracts from it. So as we pay attention, and this is not as has been said very often as we've given talks, none of this is to be believed. All of these comments are just suggestions for each person to look and investigate for themselves you know, in your own lives. When we pay careful attention to our experience and we look more carefully, the distinction between the feeling of meta what that feels like, and the feeling of desire becomes increasingly clearer. But what's interesting, and this is an indication of how powerful a force desire is, sometimes even in the practice of loving kindness, even as we're doing metta practice, it becomes entangled with desire. Now, as we repeat each phrase, is it really the simple wish for the other person to be happy, a simple wish of goodwill, a simple gift of loving attention in the moment, or are we practicing with one eye on what we're getting from it? And I just, this may be a confession of a very unique mind state, (laughs) but when I was practicing it, I would often be repeating the phrases but kind of watching and checking, am I getting more concentrated? Am I becoming more loving? You know, and I would always be looking back, how am I doing? At that time, I was more concerned with myself and how I was feeling And I was forgetting just the simplicity and the purity of the simple wish for someone else's happiness. So, even in the very practice of metta, desire and wanting can sneak in. Or we might be doing the metta phrases, you know, doing the practice, but with kind of a shadow motivation. May you be free of all those annoying qualities that make (laughs) me feel aversion. (laughs) There are also situations in our lives where we just completely delude ourselves, where we think we're doing metta, and it's not metta at all. I had one example of this. Um, this again happened many years ago. I was just visiting a friend in the western Massachusetts, way out in the woods. He lived in quite a remote area, and there were just a few houses on this dirt road. And I was taking a walk, and in one of his neighbor's houses, in the yard, there was this little very yappy dog. And it was in the yard, and I walked by, and it was yapping not in a friendly way. So I thought, oh, I'll do some metta. You know, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy. And it came over and bit me. <laughs> and I realized I wasn't doing meta at all. I was saying, be happy, but what I was really saying was, you stay over there. <laughs> So we need we need to be discerning. You know, and seeing clearly in our own experience, when is it genuine loving kindness? When is it the simple wish of goodwill? And it is so simple. Be happy. And when is it about wanting? Wanting something for ourselves. The more clearly we see this distinction, and we need to see it in many different circumstances, the more clearly we can see the difference between the feeling of metta, experientially, and the feeling of desire, the more possible it becomes to begin to disentangle them in our lives. we begin to understand more deeply for ourselves the consequences of each of these states. So, for example, in our close relationships, where do fear and insecurity and possessiveness and projection come from? You know, when we're wishing somebody well, is there fear? Is there jealousy? Is there insecurity? No, it's just that simple loving wish, be happy. Which of these feelings, desire, wanting, or loving-kindness, which of them brings us happiness, a sense of completion, a sense of fulfillment? It becomes so obvious and so clear when we take the time to look. It's just that in the busyness of our lives and in all the complexities of our relationships, we often don't take the time to sort all this out, which results in often a lot of confused and conflicting emotions. When we can see the difference clearly, when we recognize the difference clearly, this is a genuine feeling of goodwill, of well-wishing. This is a feeling of desire, of wanting we can undertake the practice of cultivating the one and letting go of the other. This is precisely the second step of the Noble Eightfold Path, the cultivation of right thought. What we frequently think about and ponder upon becomes the inclination of our minds. Obviously, though, it doesn't mean that as soon as we utter the first metaphrase, phrase, all our desires and attachments fall away. There'll be plenty of times when desire is there and wanting is there, but can we see it? As we become more familiar with the unique characteristics of loving kindness and we stop confusing it with desire, when we can learn to recognize when it's present, then we practice it, and over time, it becomes more the way we are than anything we do. We just start abiding more and more in a simple and easy friendliness, friendly feeling towards beings. (laughs) As a little experiment, and one that I found very illuminating, Sometimes in just walking down a street, you know, some town, a city, to start doing metta just for the people that you pass on the street, and to notice the difference between when you're walking down the street and not doing the metta, and then when you start doing it. What i found is, and the contrast is so startling, when I'm not doing metta, you know, and I'm just kind of walking along, hopefully mindfully, but you know, just kind of walking along, there's a feeling of separation, really disconnection from everybody around me. It's just a lot of strangers walking past that I'm not paying any attention to. When I start doing the metta, in a very easy, light way, you know, just may all, may all of you be happy, may all of you be well, it's as if the mind or the heart suddenly expands to include everybody. And the whole experience of being on the street with these strangers, the whole experience changes because there is now a relationship and a basic relationship of goodwill. So it's just to experiment, you know, at different times in your life. It's not only doing it, certainly not only doing it in formal meditation practice, whether on retreat or at home, but really, beginning to practicing, practice it at odd times during the day, you know, with the people around you, and see what the effect is. See what the effect is on you, see what the effect is on other people. In this practice of loving kindness, I sometimes find it easier. <coughs> to connect with the kindness aspect than with the love aspect. This love is a very grand word. You know, just as a word, it contains so much and it's so subtle and so complex and our understanding of it has been conditioned by so many different things. our know, understanding of love might be conditioned in part by the movies we've seen, you know, by, by advertising, or even by our own fantasies of what love should be. And in the light of this, many people often feel that they're not loving enough. You know, because we've, we've created this ideal in our mind of what love means, and we don't measure up in our own minds. That we're not loving enough, or we don't have the capacity for love in some way. You know, maybe we think that it should be some great ecstatic feeling that kind of sweeps us along in waves of bliss, and when that doesn't happen, you know maybe we feel discouraged or disappointed or that we're not loving. Kindness, on the other hand, I just find it to be a much more humble word. you know it's very. Down to earth. It's very pragmatic. It's just the friendly and spontaneous responsiveness to the world around us, to the people and situations around us. Kindness is a basic and natural openness that simply lets the world in. There was a great story about basic kind, altruistic kindness. I read it in uh, Sharon Salzberg's book, uh, Kindness Handbook, and it was from an article in the New York Times about an experiment done with toddlers. This is from the article. The simple experiment showed that the capacity for altruism emerges as early as 19 months of age. So this psychology researcher, Felix Bornikin, he performed a series of tasks in front of toddlers, such as hanging towels with clothespins or stacking up a pile of books. And this is, the article goes on to describe what happens. Over and over, whether Warnekin dropped clothespins or knocked over his books, each of 24 toddlers offered help within seconds, but only if he appeared to need it. Videos show how one baby glanced between Warner's face and the dropped clothespin before quickly crawling over, grabbing the object, pushing up to his feet, and eagerly handing back the pin. can never asked for the help and didn't even say thank you so as not to taint the research by training youngsters to expect praise if they helped After all, altruism means helping with no expectation of anything in return. And this is the key. This is still in the article. The toddlers didn't bother to offer help when he deliberately pulled a book off the stack or threw a pin to the floor. (laughs) So these are 18-month-old toddlers, just totally open, totally responsive, being altruistically kind, you know, when somebody needed something, when somebody needed help. So the question is, how can we reconnect with the spontaneous kindness of a toddler? So that's our goal. You know, how do we strengthen this feeling of basic kindness in ourselves? one of the great Zhou Chen masters of the last century, uh, Nyoshul Ken Rinpoche. He would often give teachings to you know, thousands of people. He was very well known and very realized. And this is one of his most basic teachings. I would like to pass on one little piece of advice I give to everyone. Relax just relax. Be nice to each other. As you go through life, simply be kind to people. Try to help them rather than hurt them. Try to get along with them rather than fall out with them. With that, I will leave you and with all my good wishes. It's as if he's talking to toddlers. (laughs) It's just so basic. (laughs) Simply be kind to people. Try to help them rather than hurt them. Try to get along with them rather than fall out with them. But as we get older, as we know, our relationships can get so tangled up in the way we relate to people and our patterns then that get established. So we have to relearn We have to relearn the easy spontaneity of a two-year-old, of a toddler, just expressing kind help when it's needed. The immediate cause or condition for this feeling of loving-kindness to arise is very obvious, and the Buddha pointed it out, He said, it arises when we focus on the good qualities of people, whether it's ourselves or others. You know, we're all a package of qualities, some desirable, some not so desirable. When we don't see the good in others, or even the potential for good, and focus instead, as we often do, on their annoying, irritating qualities, It's very easy for ill will and judgments and anger, sometimes even hatred, to arise. But if we make it a practice, and it is a practice, it takes some effort to seek out and relate to the good in each person, then the feeling of loving kindness grows quite naturally. You know, at first this may take some effort. It takes practice because the habit pattern of judging is so strong as you may have noticed in these days of watching your minds. You know, we have comments and judgments about almost everything. But if we're paying attention, if we're practicing awareness and seeing this, we all have an inner remote and we can change channels. We don't have to stay on the judging channel, the critical channel. Mm-hmm. We can see it, just click the remote. Go to the meta channel. <laughs> it's a wonderful channel. <laughs> Actually, it's a very uh, striking example of this uh, with my dear friend, Steve. <laughs> Steve had been a monk in Burma for uh, quite a few years I think he was there maybe five years altogether and I was back in the States doing a lot of teaching and then one year I went to Burma to practice for a few months at the monastery so I go and I'm doing the practice and settling in and going through a lot of the initial you know, difficulties that people do when they just start a retreat, you know, coming from a busy life and there was Steve. You know, he'd been there for years. And he was so calm <laughs> and so cool. And I was going, <laughs> But then I kind of saw this kind of grumpiness in my mind every time I saw him. I said, what's this about? <laughs> you know, he, he's enjoying the fruit of a lot of hard work. And all his practice. So I saw kind of that grumpiness in my mind and I just changed the channels and I started doing mudita, you know, which is that practice of being happy for the happiness of others. And it was amazing. It didn't take long at all. It was just a switch of perspective. You know, I started, may his happiness increase, may it grow, may it not leave him. And I would do that over and over again. And then every time I saw him, I became even happier. (laughs) Again, how we feel is up to us. We can actually change channels. We can develop metta, we can develop mudita. we can develop compassion. A great gift comes to us when we practice seeing the good in others. And that is we start feeling gratitude for the good people have done to us and for us. You know, in Buddha, the Buddha called gratitude one of the most beautiful and the most rare qualities in the world. You know, it's not something that maybe comes as often as it might. We so easily take for granted or forget you know, the kindnesses that people show us, the help that they've given to us. When we feel gratitude, when we remember, when we see the good in others and the good they've done to us, then the metta flows very naturally. It's not even something we have to practice at that point. The metta becomes our natural feeling. In the silence of meditation, and perhaps you've experienced this on retreat, as our minds become quieter, as our hearts become more open, we may start thinking of people we haven't thought of in years, you know, maybe people from our childhood. And it's very often these memories arise, even if there might have been difficulties, they often arise because we're less defensive and less protected. It often arises in a field of meta, in a field of love. Someone once asked Deepa Ma whether she should be practicing mindfulness or loving-kindness. Because Deepa Ma was a master of both. And Deepa Ma answered, from my perspective, from my experience, there is no difference. For her, love and awareness were one. When you are fully loving, aren't you also mindful? And when you are fully mindful, is this not also the essence of love? You know, so I think it's important, even as we may do different formal practices, to really see that they're aspects of the same thing. Even as we practice in this way, you know, we practice focusing on the good of others and appreciating the good that they've done to us or for us and feeling gratitude it doesn't mean that we'll never get angry or never get annoyed but rather as the Dalai Lama expressed sometimes i do get angry but deep in my heart i don't hold a grudge against anyone so i think that's what we need to check you know there'll be there'll be momentary irritations and times when we do get angry. But deep in our hearts, in our deepest place, are we holding on to some grudge, to some wish for harm? Or can we let go? Can we really extend that forgiveness? Let go of that. Deep in my heart, I don't hold a grudge against anyone Sometimes in the practice of this we may need to adjust the phrases. We may need to adjust the wishes which we're cultivating. And this came home to me very uh, powerfully in a retreat I was teaching just a few weeks after 9-11. And there were a lot of people from New York on that retreat. And we were teaching metta. And we went through all the categories, you know, including benefactor and friend, neutral person, difficult person, enemy, all beings. And quite a number of people came and said, There is no way that I can wish well to these people who flew the planes into the towers. You know, it was just, there was just no way. And it really, it really made me stop and think, well, what does metta mean in that context? You know, when someone or some being has done so much harm and caused so much destruction, whether on that you know, very big scale or on a personal scale, what does metta mean? Is it really boundless? And as I reflected on it, I saw that a wish that would be appropriate in every circumstance... Is there anybody that we would exclude from the wish, may you be free of hatred, may you be free of enmity? Right? These are the very mindsets that cause all the harm, all the suffering. Is there anybody that we would exclude from that wish? I think, I think not. You know, so we can see that metta doesn't always have to take the form, may you be happy, may you be peaceful in a certain situation that might not feel appropriate, but we can always find an appropriate wish for people to be free of those states that cause suffering. May you be free of hatred. May you be free of enmity. May you be free of ill will. May all beings be free of these states. The world would be a much better place. So, the willingness to train, you know, to train our hearts, whether it's in metta or anything else, as you know, it requires great patience. It's not, it's not an instant development. And the Buddha called patience the highest devotion. You know, patience is, is what makes the whole path possible. the recollection and the practice of metta, this attitude of love and care, the attitude of kindness in all aspects of our lives, it gradually transforms the way we are, the way we are in ourselves, the way we are with other people, the way we are in the world. I'd just like to close with a very... (laughs) apt teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh, he said, happiness is available. Please help yourselves to it. (laughs) So let's sit for a few moments. All beings everywhere be free of enmity be free of hatred and ill will all beings everywhere live in safety and live in peace